All right, looks like we have video again, but I wonder if you can see what I have here on the screen. Can you guys see what that is on the screen? Little puppy. Look at y'all smiling. Instantly bring smiles, right? No? <laughs> you know, if you've ever given or even received a puppy for Christmas, you may have seen it on the TV commercials, or maybe you haven't done this personally, but maybe you saw it on a, um, like a little ad or a sitcom or something that you watch. And then there's this super tiny, cute, cuddly, furry little animal. And normally, they're very difficult to give as a present because I mean, they're alive, and so even though you see it pictured in this little box, imagine the difficulty of trying to pull this off on Christmas Day. You've either had to maybe put a little treat in the box and put the dog in the box and put the lid on real quick and then bring the dog out real quick and then open it up real quick. It either has to be something that you did really quickly or maybe you're just saying, you know what, this box idea is not going to work and you just let the puppy just run on in on Christmas morning. But what you would find is that it's not easy to contain a puppy in a box. You really do have to work to keep them hidden. And you see, a dog is not just uncontainable in a box, but it's also uncontainable when you give it as a gift. Because what normally happens when you give someone a puppy as a gift? They're excited, they're everywhere, they're running. You're showing them to your friends, you're showing them, you know, some of us, they have the little dog carriers. You're taking them everywhere with you. You take them to the doctor, you take them to the, um, the vet, you take them to the store, you take them on your planes. Everywhere you go, you're taking this dog, you're taking this little puppy, and people are walking up to it and they're going, oh, it's so cute. It's hard to contain what you experience when something like that comes into your life. Amen? Now, I'm going to liken that a little bit to the type of joy that we experience when Jesus comes into our life. Only the good thing is it doesn't require cleaning up messes and walking two times a day or else I wouldn't have Jesus' joy. I would pass on it. That's why we don't have a dog. Amen? <laughs> A little bit of extra. The, the Bible says the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and what? Addeth no sorrow. Hallelujah. So obviously it's not a perfect analogy. But it's one that I want to use as our starting point as we discuss joy on this morning. Now, if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we have been in an Advent series that has been covering um, all of the attributes of God that have been contained in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the embodiment of these traits. And so uh, on our first week, we talked about hope, amen, 
and we talked about the biblical hope, and then last week we talked about love, and we talked about the type of unconditional love that we receive because of Christ. And today, as you can see on this third Sunday, um, leading up to Christmas, we are discussing the joy. Now we said Advent simply meant in Latin, uh, the coming or the arrival. And so because something was coming, we said, because there is an arrival, we discussed, there's a sense of anticipation and a sense of expectation, amen? And so that sense of expectation, that sense of excitement, it's probably a lot of what you feel when we approach the Christmas season. Anybody just get excited during the Christmas season, amen? Now, I know some of y'all are raising your hands because you're excited because you think you're getting something for Christmas. That's not the excitement I'm talking about on this morning. But we're talking about the excitement, the hopeful waiting that not only embodies what was experienced when we talk about the text uh, in the previous weeks, but the active, assured, and hopeful waiting even of the second coming of Christ. And so each week we've been focusing on that. And on today, I want to talk to you a little bit from the book of Luke, if you would turn there, about joy. Now, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read for you verses 13 through 15. And we're going to talk about Elizabeth again. I think we talked about her primarily week one. We talked about Mary and Joseph in week two. And I want to revisit both of them together here in week three. And you're going to see in a moment why. Uh, because there's some things about joy that we can truly extract as we take a look at Elizabeth and her journey and what God did in her life. So we're at Luke chapter 1 if you're there say amen and we're telling again about the story of Zachariah and his wife for those of you who are joining us for the first time in this series or if you're joining us after we covered this and we said that they were the parents of John the Baptist amen and so we knew that John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah we also discovered that Zechariah was a priest who received a visit from an angel. And this is where we are here in this verse that we're going to read together. Uh, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. And you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I want to pray before we get into this message. Father, I thank you for the message that you gave me to give your people this morning. Your people are precious to you, and I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the anointing of God would fall upon me and that I would deliver the word exactly as you have given it to me. I pray that it will bring joy to their hearts and their souls this morning, and I pray that they will be more in search of the joy that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I looked at this, I want us to look a little bit closer at Elizabeth. As you know, I often do with the scriptures. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I pray 
that as a people we will get in the habit of doing, uh, going beyond just looking at the text and saying, okay, I read it, let's hit the checkbox, I did my scripture reading for today, but that we would, in our process of reading God's word, realize that there are hidden truths that as we really study and look at his word and then not just look at it, but really get into the text and try to imagine and envision what is happening and what God is really saying, that we are going to see um, some very important truths that will guide us and comfort us and bring us joy even in our lives today. And I think that's what's so powerful about the word of God, that something that could be written so long ago can still be applicable and still give us guidance and comfort even on today. And so as we look a little bit closer at this, I want you to see yourself in the text as well. So we're still looking at um, Elizabeth, and we're going to talk about her joy. But before we do that, you have to understand a little bit about her pain. We have to understand what it was like in her time. You see, in, in the time that this scripture is written, and in the time that uh, this is taking place in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, for ancient Jews, children were a tremendous blessing. We talked about that in our women's fellowship a couple months ago of how over the decades and over the, the centuries, how things have changed and now we kind of um, shy away from having children or having multiple children and we got away somehow from what the original goal and how God felt about children and so in this time they're very close to that and they, they, they reference Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 that says children are a heritage from the Lord. Amen? Offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And so in this time, you have to understand, you know, in our day and age, it's kind of funny. If I go to the restaurant with my family and we say party of six, we know we got at least a 45-minute wait because they got to put some tables together. They got to rearrange some things to accommodate us. So when we say party of six and we're going on a cruise, we got to get two rooms. <laughs> we got to get the adjoining rooms because they have the maximum cap of how many you think their max is, four. So we grow up in a day and age where it's, you know, husband, wife, and a girl and a boy. That's what, that's what our culture has defined as the family size. And so we've gotten away from what their beliefs were as ancient Jews. They, then children were such a great heritage and they understood that and a family had lots of children and when you did not, a certain stigma attached to it. Children allowed you to carry on your name, pass on your heritage. They gave you more hands for daily tasks. 
So as you were doing different things and you had more children, you had more people to help in executing the oversight of the day-to-day -day living as a family. And then as they uh, had their livelihoods in their families, unlike us today where we go and then we work somewhere else, most of the time the work that they did was within their own household. So having more children meant more hands on deck to assist with your livelihood. And so as you can imagine, not only was this important for just the day-to-day -day living, but it was also very much so perceived and understood that children were actually a gift from God. It was very much so favor. And so when you had children, you were able to really enjoy all of these benefits from the Lord. So to be childless was a great source of frustration. To be without children was a great source of shame. So let's kind of anticipate the type of pain that Elizabeth would have then. Now that we understand the biblical context, now that we understand what the culture was in this time, now this scripture can have even a deeper meaning for us because we begin to understand that not only was God making her a promise, he was promising her something that would overcome her shame. Let's go a little bit deeper. I don't feel like you really catch what I'm saying to you. Um, Elizabeth was in her older years at this point. So this was a process of hoping and waiting and expecting. And I can only imagine, just think about it for a second. Let's put ourselves in Elizabeth's shoes. Imagine the years that go by and your best friend is with child. And you want to be excited for her. And yet you're asking God, when is my turn? Imagine the the hopeful excitement that she may have had. She may have even had names picked out. I'm gonna have two girls and three boys and I'm gonna name them this and this and this and this and that. And the years continue to go by. And the decades continue to go by. And still there is no child. So when you look at it from that standpoint that Elizabeth had to have endured a lot of frustration from waiting and waiting and waiting and perhaps seeing other people around her experience the blessing that she wanted to receive and yet not receiving it herself. Or maybe even coming close to receiving it and having a miscarriage. Can you imagine the frustration and the hurt and the pain that she would have to have endured during this process? But it says in the word of God that even though she had endured this pain, she continued to serve God faithfully. She continued to believe God. She continued to say, you know what, God, I have joy. And no matter what my lot is, I am satisfied because I have you in my life. We could learn a thing or two from Elizabeth. We may have things that we have expected to receive by now in our life. 
We may have hopes and dreams that we were expecting to manifest by the time we hit our 30s or our 40s or our 50s or a certain point that we picked in our life that we just knew by this time this would happen in my life. And maybe we are a little bit like Elizabeth where it's been so long that now we've got that label. Elizabeth went from wanting to have a child to being labeled barren. You know how we like to put labels on things? And the finality of a label? You're a widow. You're barren. You're single. You're, home, you're homeless. You're unemployed. Labels. Categories. Boxes we get put in when the thing that we were believing for doesn't happen soon enough. So in spite of these labels, in spite of all of this disappointment, despite of all of this embarrassment and this shame, the Bible described, and we read it a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, God described them like this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And maybe this is how they planned on living out their life. It's not going to happen. And I'm happy for y'all that it did, but for me, it's not going to happen. For me, I'm never going to experience it. For me, I'm, I, I'll probably never get married. For me, I probably, I probably never own my home. For me, I, I probably never have children. But it's okay. I have the Lord. I have God on my side. I'm going to be all right. But then God showed up. But then God came. And one promise changed it all. He told Zechariah something that at that point in time, Zechariah found incredible to believe. All this time, all this time, I've seen it pass me by. All this time, I didn't think it was ever going to happen for me. What do you mean now? I mean, now, I, don't, I, I, I almost forgot about the, the promise. Now, I almost forgot I wanted it. I didn't wait it for so long. Anybody know what that feels like? But as he's serving God, here's the part I like. As he's not wallowing, as he's not, woe is me, as he's not, why not for me and for everybody else, but as he's, you know what, whatever my lot is, God, I'm happy with it. I want to serve you. We're not going to stay in this place of pity and shame. We're going to move forward and we're going to glorify you with everything that you've given us. I don't have children, so that just means I have more time to serve you, God. It's me and you. And as God looks at him and he calls him blameless, he sends his angel to give him a word. 
And the word as we read is that your wife, Elizabeth, will conceive. But, but she's old. How is this even possible? She's, she's past the age of rearing children. I don't even know anybody who's had children at this age. I don't, that, that can't even be possible. How many of you know that with God all things are possible? I don't care who you haven't seen accomplish it. I don't care how long you've been without it. When the promise of the Lord shows up, it's time to get excited. It's time to begin to believe. That's why we talked about last week how you can't let that hope die. You have to continue to believe that with God it is possible and in his timing it will come to pass. Now see, Zachariah had a little bit of a hard time with that, we discover. And so um, since he couldn't speak in agreement with God's word, we discovered what? He couldn't speak went on ahead and made him mute. So somehow he would have had to find a way to share this word with his wife. Maybe he wrote it down. Maybe he did sign language. I'm not sure how he did it. But somehow he was able to tell his wife, Elizabeth, I imagine he probably said, you're not going to believe you're not going to believe this. I was just at work in the temple like I always am, doing what I always do. And the Lord brought us a word. We understand from the scripture that Elizabeth had a little bit better of a time accepting the miraculous news than her husband. For Luke 1.25 records, that she said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God showed his favor. We talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? About how favor is better than money. How when God's favor shows up, the impossible becomes possible. Can you just let that marinate for a second? What is going on in your life right now that seems absolutely impossible? You've measured it up, just don't fit. You've calculated the timeline, just don't seem like it's going to happen. You looked at your bank account and it laughed at you. It said it definitely ain't going to happen. But then the favor of God shows up and says, oh, it's going to happen. Because I said so. 
See, when that happens in your life, maybe you will respond like Zachariah and be like, nah, this, this can't be. I mean, you just don't know how long. I, or I pray that at this point, our hope and our faith is built up, that we will be able to say, yes, the favor of God, I receive it and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to excel. And so at this moment, that's where Elizabeth is. It's something that she did that I wanted to also highlight with you all. We look at the scripture and if you're familiar with the text, you see that she spent her first five months of her pregnancy in seclusion. Now, we don't know why. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. But I have to imagine that Elizabeth said, this, this thing here, I'm not going to give the enemy a chance to put his hands on it. This thing here, I'm going to keep between myself, me and Mary. See, sometimes you got to yoke up with people who can believe the vision with you so that they don't kill it before I have a chance to give birth to it. See, sometimes you've been waiting for a long time and, and then when that person comes into your life and you're ready to receive it and you decide that this is what we're going to do and you open your mouth and you tell the wrong person too soon. No, you don't want to marry him. Don't you know? No, you don't want to marry her. You didn't hear about See, Elizabeth said, we're not, we're not going through that. I'm five months in seclusion. Five is the number of grace. She made it her point to stay away from anything that would interrupt the promise that God had made in her life. And we're still afraid to offend people. <laughs> we're still afraid to move somebody from the front row of our life to the bleacher section. Knowing good and well that they need to be put out the stadium. But see, if you've waited long enough, if you've waited long enough, and God finally speaks to you, and you see the, the, the beginning of the thing materializing, and this time you don't want to lose it. Something will make you say, I got to get into seclusion. I, I've, I've, got to, I've got to cut my phone off. I, I've got to fast. I've got to, I've got to change some things in my environment so that I can give birth to this thing that God has shown me in my life. And so we see that Elizabeth has done that. And so as she has done that, a miracle begins to unfold before her eyes. I can't imagine what it felt like for her when she felt that first tumble. I can't imagine what it felt like when she felt that first kick. See, for us, that first kick was like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? For her, that first kick was, yes, God is real. Yes, God spoke to me. Yes, this thing is happening in my life. See, sometimes the very things that inconvenience us are the things that we ought to rejoice over because it's evidence that God is at work. 
I got to tell you, if the devil didn't show up and try to fight me every once in a while, that would be an indication that I ain't doing nothing. You ought to get nervous if you don't have a little bit of a fight. You ain't doing nothing. He ain't got to waste his time. He, he got other people he could go to. I mean, his job is to kill, steal, and destroy. If you ain't doing nothing, you ain't got nothing to destroy. If you already live for him, he ain't got to mess with you. But when we decide, no, I want to step into the kingdom of God. I want to live right. I want to live holy. I want the Holy Spirit to be dominant in my life. I want to follow his leading. I want God to get the glory out of my life. Well, you ought to just expect you're going to have a little bit of confrontation to deal with. And so as we see this being unfolding in her life and we see that the Lord has spoken to her and that this, this miracle is taking place and it's unfolding right in her between her eyes. We know that in the sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced a deep encounter with joy. Turn to Luke chapter 1 verse 41. Now, we talked about this in week one, and so I'm going to kind of summarize it a little bit, but we know that Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit, and then she came to stay with her cousin Elizabeth. And we talked about last week how she stayed there for three months, and we, we had a wonderful time envisioning her love story. And so we see here in this verse that when she arrived, something happened. Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby, as promised, was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Now that's some anointing. Some of y'all was at the altar 12 hours trying to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> the joy came the minute the Messiah entered her presence. And the Messiah had not even yet to be born. Think about that for a minute. See, spend time with the scripture. We're not in a rush. There's so much here. Before he was even born, just him entering into her presence, the Bible records her baby leaped in her womb. That's another level of joy that I want us to begin to grab hold on for ourselves. That because he entered into our presence, because he entered into this world, something ought to just make us leap. 
We ought to just get excited knowing that we're coming upon this time that we're going to celebrate his entry into this world. You know, as I began to meditate on this, it took me a minute and tears strolled down my face because I thought about what would my life be like had he never come into this world. What would, what would your life be like? But see, it's something like Elizabeth for me. Because see, if you've never been through anything, then you, maybe you can't wrap your mind around what it would have been like. But if you came from where that place of pain, like Elizabeth, and you've been in lack and you were longing. See, I don't know about you, but I was looking for something that could not be found. And I was looking in all the wrong places. And I found out it couldn't be found there. And so when I found the joy that came from allowing Jesus Christ to come into my life, it's a type of joy that once you get a hold of it, it's like that little puppy. You cannot contain it. You can't contain it. You can't put it in a box and save it just for Sunday from 10 to 11. It ain't going to make it. It's going to spill over on accident when you get to work. It's going to spill over an accident at that beauty shop. It's going to spill over before you know it while you're at that restaurant and it's uncontainable. It's a joy that when it gives an opportunity to share with someone else, you can't help but to share because he has been too good to you. I was reminiscing with the Lord and I was remembering funny story to me probably might be funny to you guys now that you know me trying to imagine me in this condition. But one thing that was real interesting about me when I was growing up, both my mom and my dad smoked cigarettes. And I remember I would go to school and they would show us the little lung with the cigarettes, with the black smoke and stuff. And they would show us the lung without the cigarette. And I would come home and I would plead with my parents and I would say, please don't smoke. I don't want you guys to die. And I was so, oh, I was so traumatized by this all the way into my freshman year of college when I picked up a pack of cigarettes. I don't know, maybe I forgot. Maybe because everybody else was doing it. But I picked it up and I was addicted. I didn't think I was addicted. I just figured it's something I'm doing socially. If I don't want to, I don't have to. But the next thing you know, and you know you're in college, you're not just lucrative. I'm spending my last $2. I know I need something to eat, but I, I need some cigarettes. Next thing you know, I'm in law school. It's below zero outside. And we waiting for the break in between this class and that class. And I'm outside with no coat on in the corner by the building. I don't know what I thought about the corner. The corner is supposed to be warmer or something. I don't know. I'm in the corner outside. Can y'all picture that? For, trying to get me a quick smoke and then get into the next class. Can y'all really picture that? That was me. 
addicted. And what was so powerful was one night in a church off of a 55th and we rolled by it the other day. I forget the other side street. I came in there on a New Year's Eve and I knelt down and I asked God to come into my heart and to change my life. And I got up and have never had a cigarette since. Man. Not once. Not once. Didn't need a patch. Didn't need a program. Just absolutely took the taste completely out of my mouth. That's a miracle. See, sometimes we get caught up because we're reading the Bible and we think, oh, I can't identify with Elizabeth because I have never, you know, been in a situation like that. The devil is a lie. If you really look over your life, you've been through plenty of situations where but for the interference of God, but for his divine hand, it wouldn't have happened. His divine hand, he saw fit. When I prayed that prayer, that was only one thing he did. We don't have time to talk about all what he took away. He took away so many desires. He took away so many things. And what he decided to do, it was so powerful to me. And it kind of cracks me up now because now I'm snooty with it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'll go in somewhere and be like, oh my God. Ooh, what are they smoking? Are they smoking cigarettes? <laughs> I'm super snooty now. I can't even can't take the smell of it. I would be in the hair salons and I would be sitting there waiting to get my hair done. And I would be looking through the magazines. And I don't know if you guys have ever been into like a black hair salon and they have like these magazines, like of the clubs and like all the different ads and stuff. And I was looking through it and I was just like, oh my gosh, where are their clothes? Oh my goodness, where did they go? Oh, how can they do that? He took the taste out and then he gave me a, um, an aversion for the things that did not please him. God did that. Because two years prior, I thought that was the most amazing thing to do. And when he came into my life, it was, no, if it doesn't please you, if it doesn't glorify you, I don't want to be involved in it. I don't even want to be within a radius of it. There are miracles that he is performing. There are things that you are able to do right now that if you don't realize it, I need you to realize that it is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is working in you that you are even able to be here today. It's a mighty God that we serve. And when he comes into your life, he changes it in such a way that the joy is uncontainable. And you have to share what he has done for you with someone else. This ain't the first place I shared what God did for me. My mother, I was so funny, she used to hate to see me coming. She used to be like, oh, here comes the Bible thumper. 
Like, Ma, that's not nice. I'm just saying, I don't nobody want to hear all that. Just come on. I'm preaching. Nonstop. They didn't have to give me a mic in a pulpit. Wherever I go, you're going to hear about this. You're going to receive this today. And what was so funny to me, though, and how the Lord works, all those same people who couldn't stand to see me coming, the Lord allowed me to see that when they would go through crisis, who do you think they would call? When my mother was dying with cancer and on her deathbed, and I would sit with her in her dialysis appointment, she would say, could you read me something from the Bible? By the time she left this earth, we had, such, we had so many good church services right in that hospital room together. All of a sudden, they was happy to see the Bible thumper. When I come walking down them aisles, them, the, the, the Cleveland Clinic, you can hear my little heels coming down the hallway, here come the Bible thumper. There's a joy inside of us that we shouldn't try to contain. Somebody needs that joy. Somebody, somebody, maybe you're thinking about them right now. They need this joy. Joy overcomes shame. Turn with me to 1 Peter. I'm going to have to find a way to summarize and contain some of this. It's so much God gave me and I can see I don't have even a smidget of the time to share it all. But I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me to edit and to share the parts with you that are most important because somebody needs to hear this. And I'm excited that God has chosen this place to be the place to give you this word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Joy brought into our world by Jesus, God with us. Living long past his time on earth, his joy is still available to us now. It's available to us. And maybe you don't know of this joy that I'm speaking of. Maybe you have very little familiarity about what I'm even saying on this morning. I hear the Holy Spirit saying that's where you'll edit it and that's where you'll go. You pause, give someone an opportunity this morning to, to know this joy. As the scripture says, it's a joy that's unspeakable. It's a joy that sticks with you, unlike happiness, through good times and through bad. It keeps you when 
you don't want to be kept. It's a joy that I don't want you to leave here this morning without if you don't have it already. Because we can get a lot of gifts this Christmas. And if we don't get joy, I don't think we've gotten what we really were supposed to get. So I want to pray with you. And I want to give you an opportunity to experience this joy. And here's the great thing about it. I can't give it to you. <laughs> I don't have it to give. But I know who does. My father who is in heaven. And he wants you to have it this morning. That's why he made the provision to come down in the flesh and to be embodied in Jesus so that we could experience this joy today. And what a shame if you were here in this atmosphere and in this place and you left without it. I want to pray with you this morning that you would come and that you would experience this joy.